Yo, what's up, guys? Check it out. This episode is with Dr. Yoti Patel, MD, and we're talking about integrative medicine and how combining Eastern and Western philosophies can help patients get to the root cause of their problems, how food is medicine, how lifestyle medicine, how all of these alternative modalities have their place in medicine and can help you, whether you're a patient, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a practitioner, doesn't matter. There are ways to get to the root cause of problems and integrative medicine to me just seems like the ideal way to be practicing as a primary care. Although it's not necessarily practical in the current corporate environment that medicine is in, however, it's something we talked about. Like, why can't every patient get this kind of experience? Why can't everybody practice medicine this way? Why can't we all see patients for 30 minutes to an hour? There's a lot to talk about regarding all of this. And if you're a patient and if you're someone who wants really good care and who wants to see a doctor that can get to the root cause of their problems and can help them, you know, not really, you're not seeing the doctor to solve your problems, but you're seeing the doctor to help address your problems, to help get you to where you want to be, to help reach your health goals. And I think that's what's so interesting to me about this conversation that we had and integrative medicine in general. So that's what this topic is going to be about. I hope you guys like it. Before we get into the episode, shouting out Metalita. Metalita is, for those of you that don't know, a company built by someone who is a healthcare professional and really meant for people that are in healthcare to look and feel their best. And when I say that, I mean, you got to if you guys met Laura and saw her passion for the for the products she creates, you'd know what I was talking about. And if you own a pair of scrubs or a white coat from Metalita, you'll know like, wow, this is some high quality stuff. And if you see someone walking down the hall and wearing something like a white coat or a piece of scrubs that you think is like, wow, that looks really nice. Where'd you get that from? It's probably Metalita's products because they're just that eye-catching and, you know, when I see someone wearing it, I know from a mile away it's Metalita because they stand out. They look good. And if you guys want to get a pair of scrubs or a white coat or you want to gift something to someone you know who's in healthcare, go to Metalita.com. Just go and browse through their products and see what you like. Try it on. You can get it shipped to your house for free. You can try it on. And then if you like it, you keep it. And it's, it's as simple as that. You can also get like 30% off sometimes, 40% off if you sign up to their website or just add your email on their website. That easy. All right, guys, now we're going to get into the episode. I'm triple boarded, uh, internal medicine, pediatrics, so I did med peds. Okay. Um, and then I got a fellowship, I finished a fellowship in integrative medicine down at the University of Arizona under yes. Dr. Rachel Weil. Yeah. So I took the boards for integrative medicine. It is a recognized subspecialty. Um, and so now I have my third board certification in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing functional medicine coursework. I think a lot of people that are on the spectrum of alternative and holistic yeah. practices understand functional medicine. Um, it's not recognized as a medical specialty, but mm-hmm. the certification's amazing. So I'm doing that. Um, I've been in private practice for 15, going on 16 years. Really? Um, you do not look older than me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 16 years of primary care as a solo practitioner in a small town where I'm the only pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, you know, the experience really is for me that people are getting disgruntled with insurance and healthcare. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I needed to find my passion. And, you know, we all go into medicine because we want to help people. And Mm -hmm. we are genuinely, you know, authentic about it when we first start. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just getting cynical. I was getting tired. Oh, I'm right there. I'm at that point right now. Yeah. So yeah. it's tough. So, so yeah. what I did, you know, again, I had to refresh my, my perspective. I couldn't continue to do what I was doing and be happy for another 30, 40 years. So integrative medicine, that's where it came in. And you know how mm-hmm. people say you get like an epiphany and it's kind of hokey, but it happened. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there one day, I was being interviewed by this little girl. She's a Girl Scout. Mm-hmm. She wanted to be a pediatrician. She asked me, you know, what? how did I get into medicine? Well, how many years of school? All this spiel that we can kind of automatically give answers to until she asked me the question, what do I do for service? And that rang a bell in my head, in my heart, and I was thinking, gosh, what am I doing for service? You know, seva is an Indian word, means service. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just feel like I wasn't meeting my purpose. I wasn't really giving service. So I was thinking about how to do that. What is the best way that I can connect with people and genuinely offer service that is health-oriented? Mm-hmm. And so it came to me, community garden, right? So this place, I could build a place. I could build a garden. I could do gardening. I could teach people gardening. I could have people collectively know each other's names and dig in the dirt and be outside and sweat and grow their own food and eat things that are healthy. Everything that I want people to do, I could do that if I can give myself and my time and service to the community. So just like divine intervention, I went and pursued this thing and people just came out of the woodwork. Energy came towards me. Resources came towards me. Um, I just just had to ask. And um, before I knew it, you know, now we have a two and a half acre community garden in the town. We have 120 raised organic beds. We have a food donation program where we give to the poor. We have a beehive program. We have a kids gardening program. We are putting in a kitchen so we could teach people how to grow and cook their food. Um, I just, you know, it's like it's revived my passion for health. It's revived. That's incredible. So it's changed my life. That is really incredible. You know, and I want people like especially young doctors because, you know, I precept for medical residents. You know, I, I go to the high schools, I go to the local schools and give talks on, you know, the, the, the career of medicine. And now I can authentically speak to the fact that I'm not stressed, I'm not burned out. I actually love what I do. And education is like now my heart. And I give freely and um, and it just is good. I do like lots of light videos. I talk about you know, whatever it is, diabetes, heart disease, cholesterol, autoimmune crisis, gut issues, pediatric conditions, spectrum disorders. I talk to people genuinely, I hope in real language, of how they can take action. I think as doctors, we tell people what to do, but we don't tell them how to do it. Right. You know, our how is a prescription. Yeah. Our how is a pill. Our how is a procedure. And we can tell them the risks and the benefits, and we can go into that. But really, that's not real medicine. Absolutely. It's, it's helpful to have modern medicine, but it's not the only tool in our tool belt. And I think our training has made us forget that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we never really listen. 90% of the time, you could tell what's going on with someone just by listening. Mm-hmm. 
you know, do a little bit of physical exam. Right now it's just a formality. We do the heart exam, we do the lung exam, we look at their throat and their ears and we just, that's just, that's just something we do to get to the next phase, which is order tests and write prescriptions. But I'm telling you, Rami, it's not the medicine that I want to practice. Absolutely. I agree with that a hundred percent. I like I'm actually on a peds rotation right now, and I saw a little girl not that long ago, um, and she was having these headaches, and um, I guess we were coughing, and we were throwing it up to being part of congestion and part of that whole process. And, you know, I had a, I had some extra time because we had no shows that day, and I really dug into the history, and I found out, um, you know, she has really bad posture and I noticed that the way she was sitting was really bad and then I did my physical exam and I palpated her neck muscles and they were really um they're really tender and boggy and um and uh when I whenever I touched them it was kind of causing her pain and so I did a quick a, a kind of like a a soft tissue uh treatment on her and all of a sudden she felt a little bit better and it just took me doing that little bit of extra digging to figure out that's that was what was actually going on, not the not the congestion, not the other things she had going on. And you know, she'd say, "Oh, when I put a pillow under my head and I elevate my head a little bit, I feel better. When I lay down, I go to sleep and I wake up better." But really, was it because you were sleeping, or was it because you were resting your head and your muscles had time to relax? And she had the classic tension headache kind of symptoms. So I totally agree with that, and um, what I think I'm really, really interested in what you just said about. So you have a garden. Is that like how what your clinic is? No, no. it's not. It's not like actually part of your clinic. No, no. Okay. It's a nonprofit. Okay. It's a nonprofit. Uh, we took out town land, so the town had two and a half acres of dirt. And if you've ever been to Arizona, it's just desert rock. Mm-hmm. Nothing grows on it. It's been vacant for 15 years. It's a slight eyesore. Um, so I went to the town. I proposed a community garden. Um, they accepted the proposal. And then from there, um, just through 100% manpower, people, residents, uh, experts, people that wanted to give, companies that wanted to donate. I mean, it's a 100% donation program. And all of the 200 plus gardeners that we have, the residents that come to garden, mm-hmm. they're all local residents. And um, they just do it because they love, you know, being a part of a community event. You know, it used to be, and I don't know where you grew up, Remy, but where I grew up, we knew our neighbors. We ran around in their neighborhood. We played outside for hours before our parents even knew where we were. Right. And we knew people. Right now, I'm telling you, my kids, they literally don't go outside. Mm-hmm. We don't know our neighbors. Are you in, are you, are you, I'm sorry, were you raised in Arizona or are you, where are you from no, originally? I'm from Illinois. Illinois, okay, so yeah. more Midwestern, suburban yeah. area probably. Yeah, southern Illinois, by Carbondale. Okay. So small town, itsy bitsy town. My dad was a solo doc, everybody knew us. I unfortunately am doing the same thing. Yeah. So, down. <laughs> Everybody knows me. Um, so, yeah, I think that the community garden came about because I wanted to build a place where people could be community again, right? Mm-hmm. We connect to the ground. We connect to the soil. We connect to our food source. We connect to each other. And then most of all, we connect to ourselves. One of my best times of the day is during my lunch hour, I go over to the garden 
no one is like bothering me. No one has things to sign. I don't have to do mm -hmm. triage. I don't have to field questions. I could just go and mess with my garden, water my plants, till the soil, add a little coffee grounds or add my eggshells in there and get my, my little plants growing. And um, it's like time for self. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. It really does. Ship garden. Yes, Ship yes. Garden. You know my my mom is big on gardening. I think it's I think it's a really healthy exercise. Um yeah. and just eating from plants that you grow, I guess you take I guess you enjoy them a little bit more, don't you? You do. You also appreciate how long it takes to grow something. You mm -hmm. know, like I have bell peppers that have taken, you know, 2 months to grow and you know, you go to the grocery store and you buy a bell pepper you chop it up you throw it in the trash you never think of it now it's like prized possession yeah. i chop it up i savor it i save it you yeah know, there's, there's just a different pride to growing your own vegetables and consuming them isn't it interesting for like thousands of years that's the way food has been consumed i guess maybe not until the last what 50 or so when with the modern industrialization right. of of how we consume food now, we don't even think twice because it's readily available. You know, yeah. it's not scarce, and we just go to the store and pick it up. We have no personal investment to the foods or towards the foods. Whereas my grandpa, growing up in the village in Lebanon, he was out there planting his own foods and doing his olive garden. He was invested. Like, wow! There is no olive wasted yeah. back in the village. <laughs> I think that it's true. Like when you go back to India, the cooking process takes all day like sometimes you know just making the spices and crushing the peppers and you know making the masalas and putting everything together i mean it's a day-long process and that's why when we celebrate and i'm sure it's in your culture too we celebrate around food right so like when we have weddings what's the big reason to go to a wedding the food yeah right you're like gathering with your friends and your family and you're enjoying the flavors and the food and somebody put a lot of love and a lot of time into making that food happen. And when you have family occasions, there's never a shortage of food, right? Because mm -hmm. we celebrate around food because that's how we connect to our loved ones. Absolutely. So food is huge. Food is huge. And the food, the source of food matters. How the food is grown matters. If you did it yourself, it matters. How you prepare it matters. So there's so much to food and connection and health and community. Um, it's been my new thing. Absolutely. So how are you in, uh, so now in your clinic, I know that, are you still practicing with seeing pediatric patients and then also doing some of the integrative stuff with adults or just more towards yeah. pediatrics? No, it's a mix. So I changed from primary care because the, uh, it was difficult. I've been doing both integrative and primary care for a few years now, mm -hmm. but, um, healthcare is changing. Um, it's become, a, an industry, um, there's a lot of financial uh, pushes in, in terms of practice guidelines and what primary care physicians like you and I will have to do mm -hmm. to make ends meet, but also to provide care. In the past, Remy, you get to see a patient, you get paid for your service. Now, what they're doing is they're tying reimbursements to metrics, outcomes, algorithms, protocols, and they're dictating terms of care. Mm -hmm. So you as a physician can't do personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. I can't spend 30 minutes really hearing your story and helping you. I have to kind of move on and see patients in 15 minutes, and I have to write prescriptions, do diagnostics, mm -hmm. and, and I get paid based on my metrics. I can spend a lot of time with you and never get paid. So 
Long story short, what I'm doing is I'm spending a lot more time doing mostly integrative consults. Okay. So for instance, I had a pediatric patient. She's two years old. She's had eczema since she was born, just severe eczema. And she started developing alopecia. Her hair was falling out. So the mom comes in and it's frantic. Um, so we talked a little bit about gut health. We talked about dysbiosis and we talked about food allergies. Something that traditional doctors don't have the time or space to really explore. So we did a food panel and she was severely allergic to a number of foods, including eggs, milk, wheat, nuts. So we removed those foods. Second, we did a stool analysis. She had a severe infection of Campylobacter in her stool. So we treated that. And her hair, her alopecia started to come back slowly. She went to see a traditional doctor, which I referred her to because, again, standard medical practice is you refer them to derm. And the dermatologist offered her an immunosuppressant. And, the, and she said to her, food has nothing to do with it. And within 72 hours, this child's eczema was 90% better. Mom calls me up and says, why do more doctors not talk about food and the gut health and other things? And she, hadn't, she hadn't started the immunosuppressant. She didn't want to. Okay. She, she wanted an alternative yeah. to it. She wanted to find out what the root cause of disease was. Mm -hmm. So now my practice, I spend looking at root cause. Mm -hmm. I spend my patient, I give an hour mm -hmm. to my patients. I do pediatrics, I do adult care, I do cancer recovery, I do autoimmune diseases, I do patients with chronic gut issues. Um, I even had patients that have cardiovascular disease. And a lot of times in traditional medicine, when somebody comes in with plaque and, and MI and stroke, we just tell them, stay on your statin. There's nothing you can do to reverse disease. Let's just wait until we have to intervene. So now what we do is we look at lifestyle medicine, looking at ways to reverse disease at the root. So not just statins, because that's not the only solution. Let's figure out what is it about their genetics that increases their risk. Let's figure out what is it their diet may be contributing to their, to their health and their lifestyle. There's no one diet for everyone. Not everybody needs to be vegetarian, and not everybody needs to be keto, and not everybody needs to be paleo. There's, there's genetics that play a role in what your body is going to do best with. So that's, that's, that's personalized medicine. That's mm -hmm. smart medicine. That's using modern medicine to help people figure out what their lifestyle should be. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's stress. Maybe it's sleep hygiene. Maybe it's environmental toxins and environmental exposures. And how do we make the person resilient to disease? Absolutely. So my time now is spent really giving patients my full attention for an hour, a deep dive into why they're sick, looking for root cause, using all the tools in my tool belt, nutrition, sleep, stress reduction, movement, diagnostics, and even conventional medicine if I need to use it as a tool to help the patient reverse disease. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Um, the, part of the reason I was really excited to talk to you is because I, I sort of knew you were doing a little bit of uh, the integrative, mixing yeah. the Eastern and Western medicine kind of deal. And for me personally, just like exactly like you said, uh, there's not the time and the space to really dive in with patients. And yeah. um, in the current model of medicine, it's really hard to devote that, especially when you're not being compensated and so that actually got me towards looking at direct primary care, the membership-based practices, 
practices Mm -hmm. and alternative practices where you can spend the hour with the patient and really dive into what's going on with them. Mm -hmm. And that's also because I also have been, you know, really fascinated with Dr. Weil's work and, uh, you know, the integrative medicine. I'm actually planning on doing the integrative medicine program over at Arizona State, um, which is I think really cool and a really good tool for physicians that want to get to the root cause of things. And it's for me, that just seems like it makes more sense. That's the way medicine should be practiced. But it's just things have been done in a certain way for so long and they've evolved in a corporate kind of system that that there's no it doesn't seem like that's the way we're approaching medicine anymore. It's kind of like get in the clinic figure yeah. out one or thing, make, give someone a medication so they go home happy. Um, it's like that kind of deal, which to me is just really uninteresting. And yeah. uh, I'm so glad that you're saying that, Rami, because it is so true for us physicians, healthcare providers, people in healthcare to keep true to our true purpose and why we're in this healthcare. The reason why there's burnout is because if someone's asked to do something away, 30% or more away from their natural instincts, then they're going to become disgruntled, unhappy, and burnt out. So when you can shift yourself back to really paying attention to why you entered into medicine, to help people, to do you love the, the practice of medicine, you love science, you love the human body, you love being an investigator and finding out why that person is sick and what you could do. And that dopamine release that you get when a patient gives you a hug and says, thank you for saving my life or thank you for listening or thank you for being there. That's why we're in this. We're not in it for the pharmaceutical industries. We're not in it. And people have this misconception about doctors. They think that we're in bed with corporate America, where they think we are tied to pharmaceutical, you know, benefits. We don't get any of that, but people think that that's the reason why we prescribe so much, and that's the reason why we're doing what we're doing, and we're in it for the money. We're not in it for the money. We went into it because we love people, and we love medicine, and we want to help. Absolutely. So, so I love that you want to do the program. I strongly encourage it. Um, it not only helps you become a better doctor, but it also allows you to be a better friend, a better son, a better spouse, a better parent, um, because in general, you embrace it into your own life. Mm-hmm. How many times do we talk about how, you know, we as physicians take poor care of ourselves, right? Yeah. We don't sleep well. How many of us can raise our hands to say we are insomniacs or have trouble sleeping? How many of us have a horrible diet? Um, mm-hmm. So, what you know, I, I start our way what Mahatma Gandhi says, right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. So this program allows you to then change yourself. And like I said, I had this epiphany of this community garden while I was doing the program because it opened up channels in in my in my spirit to allow me to then find my way back to medicine. Yeah, that's right. Did you move to Arizona uh, after you did the program there? On purpose because of the weather. Because of the <laughs> because of the weather, okay. But Arizona is kind of like. Um, grounds for a lot of the integrative medicine a lot of practitioners uh in that area are are practicing that type of medicine i guess that's in part due to dr Weil. yeah i think that the the southwest is very open to the idea of multiple ways to practice medicine whether they embrace ayurveda ayurveda is a traditional indian medicine that is five thousand years old um, and the Vedic sciences and yoga practices all tie into the same uh, era. And what these practitioners figured out 
was that the body has specific constitutions and your environment can, you know, like we talk about epigenetics, right? Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is the study of how your genetics are influenced by your environment. So Ayurveda, long time ago, already discovered that your nutrition, your food, your lifestyle, your sleep, your movement, the, the stresses that you're under can change your constitution, which they call constitution, which I call genetics. Right. So if you want to change your expression of your genes, you change your environment. So the Southwest is open to that idea of Ayurveda, traditional mm. Chinese medicine. Again, ancient medicine that talked about energy lines through the system and how they can be modified based on movement like Tai Chi and Qigong mm. or nutrition, herbal remedies. So keeping an open mind and not saying that Western medicine is bad, but saying that medicine is medicine. And let's use all the tools in our tool belt in 2019 to help our patients be better. Use smart medicine, use genetics, use testing, Mm -hmm. use diagnostics to figure out what's going on in their gut, right? Figure Mm -hmm. out what's going on in their body. I'm not saying don't do that, but use that science to then pair with nutrition science. Mm -hmm. What is it the information that we're receiving from food? How do vitamins and nutrients and phytochemicals help modify our genetic expression and our cell health? Mm-hmm. And what things in our environment are actually causing us harm? I find it really, I find it really interesting that all this new research that's coming out is just kind of reinforcing things that we've known for thousands of years. Sort of just you know like, like you just said, like with epigenetics and and uh, the traditional Indian medicine that you're talking about and. Um, it's really cool that we're we're sorting through sort of starting to realize that you know there are other ways there is a knowledge i I really find it hard to believe that for thousands of years a medicine could have existed and it not having any merit behind it and that western medicine just came along 200 years ago if that and decided that it knows everything i think there is some hidden knowledge in in some of the the old ways of treating people especially eastern medicine or chinese medicine and all those old modalities and i think i think it's nice to be able to offer people a way where they have and i what i really like about some of the eastern practices is that they give the person more control and they give the individual an opportunity to feel like they have some control over what is happening to them rather than here is a pill or here is a treatment and let let us take care of it for you. Completely agree. I think that integrative medicine is putting the patient in the center of their It's allowing them to be a partner in their health care. When somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, do you know how hopeless and scared they feel? And they are just waiting by their phone to get their phone call for their next appointment. What's going to happen with surgery? How are they going to get through chemo? What they're going to do with radiation? They forget entirely that there's a whole other side to their healing, which is stress reduction, which is breath work, which is nutrition, which is community support, which is you know connecting with their spiritual self and their passion. Because if you get a passionate person that has a reason to live, by far that's more medicine than any chemotherapy or radiation. It's going to get them through a really tough situation. And we forget that, you know, medicine doesn't have to be just the prescription and the pill and the chemo. It can be nutrition. It can be sleep hygiene and helping them through stress. So, Rami, what I'm doing in my clinic is I'm working with an oncologist who 
is putting together a program for cancer patients going through recovery and adding wellness to part of their cancer treatment. So I have a licensed dietitian mm-hmm. who will spend an hour with the patient. I have a um, integrative mental health physician assistant. She will spend an hour with them doing more mind-body work. I will do the medical part. I have an Ayurvedic um, consultant who will do yoga and movement with them. So when patients are going through therapy or treatment, which is necessary, mm-hmm. we can also then put them in the center of all these other people that are supporting their life and helping them get better and then rebalancing their system using nutrition and conventional medicine and movement and sleep and stress reduction. That's what healthcare should be. Absolutely. What do you what have you noticed um what have you seen as like one of the most profound experiences I guess you've seen a, a patient transform in your clinic just through 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 that whole centered approach? Yeah. I have seen many patients. I mean, again, that is why I'm doing this on its own. I've had patients with chronic heart disease. I have a gentleman. He is in his 60s. He's diabetic. Uh, he has a son who is has cerebral palsy in his 30s, that he is his full support, meaning he has to transfer him and turn him in the middle of the night, carry him to the car, carry him back, feed him, clothe him, bathe him. So his life revolves around his son. He is diabetic, had his first heart attack. It was a coming to Jesus moment for him because he realized that if he dies, then his son would suffer. And so he really wanted to take a new approach to his health. So he and I worked on a plan to help him reverse his diabetes, come off his medications, decrease his plaque burden, help him become more healthy. And because he had that passion, because he had service and and a purpose for life, he was motivated. And so went through things like supplementation. What supplements can he take to lower his blood pressure, his diabetes, and his cholesterol? Put him on a nutritional plan. What kinds of foods? And he was open to it, but he told me, he said, I told my wife in three months, if I don't see my test results change, I'm going back. <laughs> and so I put him on the Dr. Ornish plan. Have you, are you familiar with Dr. Yeah, Ornish? Yeah. So I put him on the Dr. Ornish meal plan and he did it. He was vigilant. He worked out. He ate the food I told him to. He took the supplements I took him, told him to. He comes back in three months, Remy. I show him his blood work. He started crying and he's like, oh my God. My numbers are better than they've ever been in the last decade on medication. I'm never going back. And that's I, that's just very inspiring that, to me. Yeah. yeah. And you get that feeling that you actually changed somebody's life and you helped him live yeah. and you helped him serve his purpose, which is taking care of his son. And you didn't just do it because you had 15 minutes to give him a statin and blood pressure medication as diabetes medicines. Right. You really got to the heart root of the matter of how this person needs to live mm-hmm. and how you can really be a healer and help them along that way. So he still comes to see me and he's like, I'm always going to come see you because you saved my life. And yeah. I think I didn't save your life, but you saved your life. I was just a vector. I was just a, a medium to help you there. So if I can do more of that, <clears throat> I think that, you know, that in itself is going to is gonna be enough. I don't have to, I mean, I had 9,000 patients in my primary care clinic. 9,000? To me. In your pool of patients? Yes. This was prior to what you're doing now, you're meaning. Yeah. Okay, I'm, that's, that's, so I know the average clinic has like 
two or three thousand, nine thousand, like you were seeing ninety patients a day. Then I'm guessing. I have mid levels, <clears throat> so we okay. solved you know, with my mid levels. Yeah. But it's but it's the it's not being able to serve nine thousand people. It's maybe be able to serve, you know, five hundred people. But when I serve those five hundred people, I serve them fully, hundred percent, with my full heart, wishing them well. Yeah. And guiding them and not just telling them what to do, but partnering in them to help them, you know, achieve their goals and and showing them how to do it. Absolutely. I think that's re- it's really good that you just brought that up because um, I guess having, like you said, 500 patients where you can spend the the amount of time that it would take to go through everything every day. And that's also going back to this direct primary care model that I'm really interested in practicing in. Um, and I think is actually a good opportunity for the future of primary care in America in general maybe even more than beyond America because it actually provides service because I feel like I feel like a lot of times you get what you pay for and a lot of times we want to group everybody into this model of, of you know free health care for all but in a, in a marketplace where people are looking for a way out and are burned out and want quality care at the same time from those people that are burned out. It just, it doesn't seem to work in my eyes. There has to be, um, there has to be like a partnership between the doctor and, and the patient directly for that system to really work. Because if there's this middleman, which is corporate medicine and they're kind of in charge of they're telling you hey this is what you need to do you need to kind of meet all these criteria and then they're telling the patient hey this is what we're going to approve for you and what we're not it doesn't work so this whole partner there there has to be that partnership between the doctor and the patient that that smaller pool where you can partner directly with people i think is gonna would be a big answer to the problem that we're facing in healthcare right now and you you're experiencing this i guess right now in your clinic because you have people that are partnering with you directly how do you feel do do you do you think that that makes the patient a little bit more invested now that they're uh directly in your care rather than just in an insurance-based care and i I think it sorts people out It, it sorts out the patients that are truly invested in their health versus the people that are passively um um, allowing healthcare to take care of them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still, I think, a lack of knowledge. A lot of the patients that come in, they feel like prescription medications are what they need to take. I have been uh, frustrated with, you know, other patients that I have given 110% to, but each time they come in, their A1Cs are still in the 10, 12 range. They're uh, maxed out on insulin and oral hypoglycemics, and they still struggle with making lifestyle changes. Again, it's not Here's the other thing that I have trouble with with, the, with our healthcare industry. The onus is on the doctor to make the patient well. Yeah. We are now being punished financially if the patient's outcomes aren't great. We've taken away personal responsibility for health. Yeah. You know, tort reform keeps us always on the defense, right? Mm-hmm. We always feel like we have to do more than we should because we don't want to get sued. I mean, it's a reality that we all stress about all the time. Yeah. Healthcare should not be about being defensive. You know, we should be offensive. We should be present and wanting to help the patient. And in turn, the patient should take on a responsibility. If they are not well, they seek the right care. This is the analogy I give people. You have a car. You have insurance. You use it when you need, when you have a car accident. But you take your car in regularly for maintenance. You pay cash, you don't care. You get an oil change. You pay cash, you don't care. Your tires are getting worn. Your thread's getting worn. You replace your tires. You pay dollars for it. You don't care. 
because your vehicle, your car is important to you and you will pay money to maintain it. But what about this vehicle that you've been given from birth and is going to last till the end? The only vehicle that matters, the only vehicle that you need to really take care of. When it comes to that, you say, well, I don't know if I can afford that or, well, you know, maybe it's not worth it. And I ask my patients, are you worth it? You are worth it. Invest in an hour of your doctor's time. Invest in figuring out what's wrong with you. Invest in how you can use all the tools of modern medicine and ancient medicine and nutrition and movement and stress reduction to help you reverse disease. When people put that into perspective that we value objects, but we never value ourselves, that's when the mentality will change. That's when people will start investing in their own health. Mm-hmm. Until then, we're, we've got this broken system of keeping people in the sick role. And yeah. here's where medicine fails us. There's more money to be had if the patient is sick. Absolutely, yeah. If they are on prescription medications, now you've got them in every three months to see you. You know, that now they need to see a specialist. Now the specialist can do a procedure. Now they can fill up a hospital bed. Yeah. So they're, it's part of this broken system that doesn't reward for pe- people for being healthy. Mm-hmm. It rewards people for being sick. Yeah. There's so much care. I don't want to, I don't know if I should use the word, word carelessness, but in terms of, I should, I should say financial carelessness in the medical system, just, just being a resident now, noticing how much, how, how much we don't think about how much things cost when we're treating patients or when we're, you know, coming up with plans and really a lot of it's covering our own butts because that's the way it has to be now because if you don't, you're, you're putting yourself at risk. And then there's no, um, there's no real incentive to be financially thoughtful, uh, in, in the way that you're coming up with these treatment plans because the insurance is going to pay for it and there's no there's no like marketplace regulating what's what's going in and out and for me that just seems like it just it's like duh no wonder healthcare is so expensive and there, there's it's no doubt that is that is a big part of it yes. and it just i feel like a lot of the solutions are real common sense solutions that we're not really in i mean there's a lot I could say about all of that. Another thing I wanted to talk about is kind of like what you just mentioned about responsibility. And I'm reading this book right now by Jordan Peterson called uh, The 12 Rules for Life. And a big theme of his is about uh, is around personal responsibility yeah. and how you have a responsibility towards yourself um, the same way that you have a responsibility towards your dog that, you know, yeah. like if, when you take your when it's someone that you really care about, you're invested, you take them to the vet, you get them what they need, you, you make sure your dog is taking what they need. But then, you know, if you go to yourself, you don't really, you don't really care about yourself in the same way. And I think that's true for a lot of us because uh, as humans, you know, a lot of times we, we care about others more than we care about ourselves. Yeah. And um, this whole idea around personal responsibility is really important because patients have to understand, hey, you know, I'm responsible for my own health and for my well-being and I have to be compassionate towards myself and do what's needed of me to get healthy. 
And then on the side of the, the provider, there's a personal responsibility that you make sure, hey, your patient is on board and respects the treatment plan yes. that you're um, prescribing for them and that they're on board and that they're just as committed because if they leave the office and they're just kind of, like you said, not invested and, you know, passive about their treatments, they're not going to respect um, or follow through with what you're providing for them. So it's kind of like, it's almost like, I feel like it's my responsibility to, to know that when they leave the office, what we've talked about is they're in agreement with, but not, if I feel like they're not in agreement with that, then I got to make sure that um, we come up with a plan that they are committed to and are in agreement with. Yes, I, I completely agree. I think that that's where the shift needs to happen. And I think it's shifting. I think there are younger um, patients that are finding their way to finding more information they are unwilling to take the status quo that, you know, you're the doctor and know the most. They're doing their own research. Um, they are finding their way to, to, to demanding better care. And I think that the next level there is then taking that personal responsibility for their care. Um, I think the older generation, even though they're lovely, they find that it's easy to hand it off to their doctor. The doctor gave me these 12 prescriptions. I'm just going to take them for life because they know best. Um, that mentality is, I think, going to go away. And as people become more um, unified in, in finding information, seeking information, taking ownership of their own health care, seeking the best doctors, one of the things that we do is telehealth. Mm -hmm. So it allows me to communicate with my patients via a HIPAA-compliant platform. That's the way to go in the 21st century is to allow you, you love your doctor. Well, you don't have to be stuck with the doctor that's in front of you. You can seek care with a doctor that meets, you know, your interests and also is like-minded. Right. Um, so the new, I think the new healthcare or the transition to where we're going with healthcare is that doctors are going to have to be more innovative in figuring out how they can serve patients better. And then they also need to be true and authentic to their purpose. Is, is it, are they in medicine because they want to help and find innovative ways to do that? Mm -hmm. And then patients are going to need to step up to the plate and invest in their health and seek doctors that are like-minded and then be open to alternative practices and conventional medicine, whatever is most appropriate. I think medical doctors have the best platform for that because we're trained in conventional medicine. But like you were planning on doing, if we invest in education that allows us to be more knowledgeable in evidence-based herbal remedies, evidence-based natural practitioners, evidence-based um, alternative practices, we can then put that in our tool belt and help our patients better. So the new healthcare should be driven by patients and by physicians, not by industry and pharma and corporations. Yeah. And another good point that you brought up is that patients, I, I mean, we got to realize that medicine or the world has evolved and medicine is is kind of lacking in that evolution because the way I see it is that, at least the way I see medicine moving is that right now every everybody can go online and Google their symptoms and kind of have, you know, we like to say that your, your Google search is not like my uh, medical degree, but for a lot of people, they can go online and Google search and understand at least a little bit about what's going on with them. And Yes. You know, information is at everybody's fingertips. So people don't even feel like they need to go to the doctor for every little every little thing because yes. they go online and they understand, they figure out right. what's going, they can read 20 research articles, even though that's not recommended, but that's what's happening. Yes. And 
with that, I think people are going to start seeing the physician role as less of a, I need to go see him to get what I need treated, but more of like a service. Like I need to go, I'm going to go to my physician to get really good service and get really good care. And then, you know, have a partnership rather than, you know, 30 years ago, there wasn't that you couldn't make a Google. People didn't know anything about what was going yes. on in their bodies. Now people have an understanding. People are much more inclined to go online and search and understand. So I just think that we're going to have to move with the way society is moving too. And if we as physicians want to be relevant and we don't want to be replaced by an AI, then metrics and guidelines and protocols isn't medicine. Mm-hmm. What we have to make ourselves invaluable in is the human connection be a good listener, be present, have a relationship, which people can't have with Google. Yeah. Right? And we make ourselves more relevant because we bring the human aspect to health. Mm -hmm. We personalize medicine. You know, we take our patients individually and make them real people. We find out where they live, who they live with, what kind of food they eat, what are their struggles, what are their hangups, what are some of the speed bumps that they've had, what is their journey? Mm-hmm. And when we connect with people, which is the energy we give them and the energy they give us, they'll be loyal to us for years to come because they feel connected. Right. They don't feel connected to the Internet. That's not a replacement for us. But if all medicine becomes is diagnostic tests, metrics, and prescriptions, then we will be replaced oh, by ab- AI. Absolutely. Look, like, how easy is it for an AI to just read a blood pressure medicine right. and uh, have a patient come in three times and give them their blood pressure medic? That is, like like the simplest algorithm for an AI to do and so I really don't think that's far off and I'm sure that in the future that will be part of the future me and my friends joke around about that we say yeah we're you know in 30 years we'll all be replaced but we know the I I know that you know it's a service people are investing in the in the person and in the service and because there are patients where you can kind of if you can, there, there's one patient that I'm, my own patient that I really spent a lot of time talking to about treatment options. She was also, she was a diabetic. Um, and I spent a lot of time trying to convince her that, Hey, you're on the edge. We can kind of, if you listen to me, follow my, uh, follow my, um, treatment plan in terms of what to eat and how to eat and when to exercise and things like that. If you do this and follow it, I guarantee, I, I pretty much said, I guarantee there's going to be a change in your lab values, but you just got to trust me and do this and we can get you going in that direction. And she's been doing that. And I see her again in two months. Hopefully, you know, she she's uh, making me proud. But that's that's where I feel the value comes from a physician because if you can get your patient to treat you under or yeah. to trust you and understand where you're coming from and um, understand that what is possible through lifestyle changes, then I think that's where I feel like my value is being brought. Absolutely. And, you know, they feel like you're personally invested in their success. And, you know, you know them by their name and you connect with them because of their connection with you, that's something that an AI can't replace, and that's what's going to get them to their goal. Because everybody can read information, but when you connect with somebody who's personally invested in your success and says, you know what, I believe in you. I know you can do this. Let's do this together. And when they come back in two months, if they didn't do everything that they were supposed to, it's okay. Let's just see what we can do. You know, and maybe something came up and you just spent the whole time listening to them talk about, you know, a loss in their life. Mm-hmm. And that in itself leaves them with hope that they can get better. That's something an AI can't do. 
Absolutely. But if all medicine becomes is algorithms, metrics, protocols, and we're cookie cuttering medicine, then we will be replaced. Yeah. So that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because yeah. I really enjoy the science of medicine. I love being Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I love diving into why and where and how uh, things went wrong and where can we um, fix things. Um, and then also, of course, I love the human connection part. I love getting to know my patients and talking to them and knowing them and helping them and then also celebrating in their successes. Mm -hmm. And like I said, we get a dopamine high when somebody, you know, appreciates us for and values us. And that only comes when we have those kinds of relationships. Absolutely. So medicine needs to be that. It just does. What's your what's your favorite what's the favorite thing you're doing in your practice right now? Definitely the integrative consults. The integrative so, consults. Okay. Yeah, what yeah. so what what income? What does that entail? Like, if someone were thinking about seeing you, yeah. So, so I do a full intake. So I tell them to give me their journey, from where they grew up, who they grew up with, what are some of the major life events that they've had, because it all tells me something about themselves. I get a full, thorough history, past medical review systems, but I also ask questions about their life. Who do they live with? What are their positive and negative relationships? What are their dreams? What are their aspirations? What are their stressors? How do they sleep at night? What do they eat? Well, how much exercise do they get? Have they done anything alternative? Do they take any supplements? Where have they been in their journey? And what is it specifically they want to work on? And once I think that's that, a very important question. Yeah. The last one, the very, what is it specifically you want to work on? Yeah. Because I might think that they, I'll tell you, this guy came and he's diabetic, and I thought he would be afraid of death, dying, stroke, and heart attacks. And so I was saying, what is going to motivate you? He pulls out his phone, and he shows me a picture of his 20-year-old self, and he says to me, look, I used to be hot. <laughs> and I said, well, if that's going to motivate you, let's work on that. You know. So I think meeting people where they are, and asking them what's important. Because we as scientists and we as physicians dictate terms a lot. You need to. You will die of. But that may not be important to the patient. I had another gentleman who was taking care of his grandson because the grandson's life was not perfect. The parents were not available, and he was dealing with a lot of stress. And the grandfather felt this ultimate responsibility for this young boy. And when I asked him why he needs to quit drinking and why he needs to quit smoking, he said, I want to be around for my grandson. Yeah. So I think that finding out where people are in their lives and what motivates them will definitely make you more successful as a physician than you dictating why they should do things. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, too, because I feel like I've, got, I've gotten that response from patients where it's usually someone they really care about that's getting them to make a big change in their life. So... I try to tell people that don't have the motivation to change, find find like someone who you care about more than yourself and yeah. change for them, whether it be like your kids or your your parents or whatever it is, you know, that usually can give you the motivation yeah. to kind of make the changes you need in your life, at least starting out. Yeah. And sometimes you have to ask them the reasons why they don't change. Yeah. So I had this lady and she has she was a vascular path. She'd had multiple MIs and stents, and now she's medical management only. So her cardiologist told her, there's nothing further I can do, but you obviously have a large amount of plaque burden, and you need to change your diet. You need to lose 50 pounds, whatnot. And she wasn't changing. So she comes in, and I said, 
why aren't you changing? And she said, my husband. I love my husband very much. And the best thing that I can give him is being a good cook and a good wife and keeping the house the way he likes it. And he likes to have a full spread. And I can see his eyes light up when I feed him. And I can see his love grow for me because I provide for him. And we share these meals together. And this is my time with him. And I love him very much. And I don't want to give that up. So interestingly enough, her sacrifice for better health was because she doesn't want to give her husband meals that he's not going to enjoy. So we, so I turned it around and I said, what would happen if you were to die tomorrow? How would your husband survive you? And she got very tearful and sad. And she said, he would be devastated. He needs me to take care of him. And I said, would that be enough motivation to do what you need to do to get healthy and you could still provide him with the meals that he loves? Would you be willing to make that sacrifice so you could then continue to be with him? And she'd like light bulb. She's like, yeah, I can do that for him. I have been trying, people have been telling him I should do it so I can survive, but I will do it for him. So I put her on a medical weight loss program and she lost 50 pounds. She still got has another 20 she wants to lose. She is so proud. She walks around telling everyone how she's, you know, reversed her own health, changed her life, and she can be there for her husband. So sometimes it's the opposite. Why aren't you changing? Right. What is it that it's still giving you? We also demonize people who smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, when you ask them, what is it that you love about cigarettes? I had one gentleman say, it reminds me of growing up in my home because my dad used to smoke. And then, you know, like that whole feeling of safety and love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was tied to that. So you never, I mean, he knows cigarettes are bad for him. He knows he needs to quit smoking. But something about it was giving him pleasure. Right. Something about it was giving him comfort. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about what else can you do to get you that same feeling of comfort? What can you do to remember your dad's memory in a more positive way that can replace this behavior that may be harmful to you? It's, sure. I think it's really interesting that you're, and I keep saying it's really interesting, I know, but uh, as, it really is that you're able to kind of play psychologist for a little bit with your patients. People, I, I think that's a big part of it too, is understanding that the root causes of, of, of what your patients are telling you and even in the words they're telling you. And I feel like that's sort of a lot of intuition on your part and not everyone's blessed with that, but... Uh, I think that's really cool that you've been able to make those kind of connections with people. I think medical intuition is what an AI can't do. Yeah. Making human connections and really getting to the root of why people choose the behaviors they do is really important. When we demonize or we shame people that are overweight, um, it's not that they don't know they're overweight. They, they know that, but something's holding them back. And a lot of it comes from their story and their genetics, and their lifestyle, and the people they live with, and what they get out of being overweight. Sometimes people that have been sexually abused and they feel this need to make themselves unattractive will find their way to food as comfort, but also a way of protecting themselves from um, being attractive to other people. And I've had to deal with a lot of women that come to me because they have had trauma in their past that has led them to obesity. And if you never ask... Isn't that crazy? That's a... That's... 
Yeah. That's just that's crazy. Making overeating or be, trying to make themselves unattractive because of that kind of abuse. Yeah, it's emotional. Yeah, and everything that we do ties into our psyche and what has been programmed in through our experiences, and and we are automatic in those um, responses until we become aware of them. And mm-hmm. awareness is the path to wellness. Once you become aware that this is a behavior that you're choosing to self-medicate or to, to comfort or to, um, to, to bury, then you give them other options, other ways of dealing and coping with those stressors. Mm-hmm. People intuitively aren't abusing their bodies because they like it. They're doing it because they're gaining something from it. And then we as physicians, instead of being didactic and, and um, judgmental, if we can then you know, open up some space in our in our time um, to listen. Here's that time word, right? Mm-hmm. We have no time because God forbid that patient does decide to reveal something, and now you're looking at your watch, and you have your two patients waiting, and you have no time to listen to them. You've already checked out. Yeah. And the patient sees that you're not making eye contact. You're checked out. They're emotionally vulnerable. They're going to shut down, mm-hmm. um, and you're never going to get to the root cause. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you're playing. You you you're kind of doing a therapy health session because you're you're getting you're getting pretty deep with your patients. It seems like. Yeah, and I think that to be a true healer, you have to put them. You have to give them a hundred percent when you're in the room. Mm-hmm. You can't be thinking about the next patient or the amount of work you're doing. You have to give them your full attention. Listen to their story. Look at their physical exam. Check their eyes, check their tongue, check mm-hmm. their teeth, check their nail beds. Really listen to their heart and lungs. When you're doing an abdominal exam, what are you doing? Are you just feeling around? Are you really looking for abnormalities? So mm-hmm. when you're looking at their skin, when you're checking their pulses, are you really paying attention? Are you present? Mm-hmm. And when I check myself before I enter the room, I place my hand on the door and take a deep breath and command myself to be fully present. Mm-hmm. And I think gathering yourself before you enter into the room so that you can connect with what the person is telling you is also part of being a healer. Yeah. How did you feel in residency going through all of this? Because I know in res- there's no way you can do that in residency. <laughs> and right, I, and I, there's no way I can do that right now. Okay. So I'm wondering, like, how, how did since you get... Since you asked that question, yeah. we're all type A, right? We're all like overachievers. We mm-hmm. always put ourselves behind. So my residency story is also part of my journey. When I was doing MedPeds, as you know, MedPeds is doing a pediatrics residency and an internal medicine mm-hmm. residency at the same time. You're switching between peds and medicine every few months. Um, you're basically keeping up with two different specialties. Very stressful. I'm on I pediatrics right now, and it is, it is yeah. stru- <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. and, and you're dealing with the pressure of your peers. You're dealing with the pressure of your attendings. You're dealing with the pressure of keeping up with your knowledge. You also need to study. Um, and there's just a lot going on. So I was not good at taking care of myself. I will be honest. I was horrible at eating, ate in the cafeteria, ate on the go, didn't sleep well, worked a lot um, because you're constantly proving yourself, right? You're always wanting to make sure you're not the weak one. Yeah. You're not the weakest link. Yeah. You're, the, you're the team player that steps up. You're the team player that's available. You're the one who does the best job. And in my third year of residency, I was pregnant with my friends, my first son. I couldn't take any time off because I did not want to prolong my residency. I wanted to graduate on time. I had a baby, went right back to work, You know, just decided that that was not something I needed to focus on my personal life. Mm-hmm. So I had a goiter, ignored it, 
finally had it biopsied, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer, he ignored it, decided it wasn't important, I needed to just have surgery, get the radiation, move on, get back to residency. Because we get programmed as yeah. physicians, healthcare providers, that that is priority number one. Mm-hmm. So I ignored it. I decided I was just going to go. I graduate on time. I graduate with honors. I'm ready. I get a new job. I'm going to move to Phoenix. I get a PET scan. I have um, metastases. I decide it's still not important enough for me to take care of. I go have a radical neck dissection, push my start date for my practice two weeks back. To a lymph node or where was it? So it was in my chest and my cervical nodes. And so I went and had a radical neck dissection. I went back. I moved to another state, started a new job, still busting it out, took both the MedPeds, both medicine and PEDS boards right then and there, took a new job, worked, you know, immense amounts of hours because I was just starting my first job. Didn't understand that self-care and taking care of yourself is just as important. I had another recurrence. Had to go to California, got another neck dissection. Came back the next um, week, went back to work. Six months later, had another recurrence, went back at another neck dissection. But I'm telling you, the universe was sending me messages I was not listening. And we do this to ourselves. And then after that, the practice that I was working so hard at sort of said to me, since you have all these health problems, we can't offer you partnership. What? And that was... Yes, they rescinded the partnership offer. Well, I think that's been a blessing in disguise for you. It was. It was, Remy. The universe needed me to listen. And I shut down and I dropped everything. That's when people hit bottom. They realize that that gas pedal that they're pushing on, this go, 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 do, do, do mentality, this BBB mentality, it's not making things better. It's making things worse. And I needed to get that. I needed to have that to slow me down. So when I tell my medical residents that come through my clinic that they're doing this, I say, slow down. This is not your life. You have a life. This is your, your career. This is something you do. This is, this, is who you, this is not who you are. It's what you do. Yeah. So build up who you are so that you can do what you want to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that my personal journey and my personal health history, I only share it because I want people to realize that we, too, are human. Physicians mm-hmm. are people, too. And we have to take care of ourselves before we can take care of others. And slowing down and letting yourself be less, slowing down and giving yourself time to eat, being okay with getting a good night's rest and not feeling guilty that you're not everything to everyone is okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I can't even imagine what that would be like going through, going through residency. I think you hear a lot of stories about residency and you don't really, it's really hard to imagine even even you know the amount of commitment that it takes to get through all of it it's just constant you don't get a break and you know like you're from one day to the next and sometimes it feels like you're just going through the motions um and then for something like that like how what what kept i'm really curious like what kept you going when you were you know when you got that kind of a diag when you got that diagnosis it was denial it was denial. You were just pretending like it wasn't there? Yeah. yeah, just I need to finish my program. I need to... How, f- how far were you from finishing at the time? So um, I had my son in February of my third year. I, by October, I was I had, the, I had the surgery and the radiation. So that was just the beginning of my fourth year. And then I had my second reticle neck dissection right when I graduated um, in May. 
And so it was really a very stressful time. And I tell people this, the accumulation of stress, the perfect storm, is when disease ensues. Mm. So when you ask people about their journey, when you ask them about their timeline, nine times out of ten, there's the perfect storm of stress, loss, grief, poor self-care that ensues because your body is defending you and is protecting you until it can't anymore. So why not waiting till then when when the dam breaks, but trying to do lifestyle medicine and preventative medicine. So what would I give you advice in residency? Find something that you absolutely love, whether it's a sport, whether it's a music, whether it's art, whether it's, you know, anything, and dedicate some time to doing that regularly. Because if you don't do that, if your vessel of resilience is weak and your vessel of stress is big and all you see is work and stress and you never get to enjoy true happiness, that's when illness will come about. So build up your vessel of resilience. If your resilience is a teacup of water and you get, you know, a tablespoon of salt, you have a patient die on you, you're going to have so much stress from that. But if your vessel of resilience is a 100-gallon tank because you have connected with your parents, you've connected with your loved ones, you've connected with your friends, you have a lovely lovely dog that you love, you take them for walks, you spend time playing basketball, or you go out and play your musical instrument, your vessel of resilience is so big that Mm -hmm. when you do have a stressful event, you don't perseverate and dwell and get sick from it. You actually can then move forward. Yeah. We're, that's beautiful. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, my, I also was wondering about, I guess, now that you're practicing the way you are, when, when you were in residency practicing, I guess, kind of run-of-the-mill medicine, um, yeah. what was that like for you? Did you always realize, okay, this is not the way I want to practice medicine? Or did you ever feel like this just isn't for me and you had to find another way out or anything like that? I think I, I was drinking the Kool-Aid, Mommy. I was just yeah. in it. You know, I just thought that that's what my job was. I really didn't know any different. And I think that that's why I stuck with the algorithm that I was in for such a long time, because nobody told me there was another way out. Nobody told me that medicine could be practiced differently. Or nobody told me it's okay to take some time for yourself. It's okay to slow down. I think that my mentality was of, I must do this. This is required of me. Everyone else is doing this, right? Everyone in your periphery that you see right now is all living your life. Mm -hmm. So when you surround yourself with like-minded people that are all living this miserable life, you don't realize that life can be better. Yeah. And you're like, wait, my friend from college, he's like living at large, you know, why am I suffering so much? Because we feel like we are, we've bought into this lifestyle, that we deserve this lifestyle. This is what we want to do. We all almost wear a badge of honor, Uh you know, that badge of honor that says that you sacrificed Mm-hmm. I've sacrificed my sleep, my my health, my my happiness for my job. That badge of honor, we love wearing it because mm-hmm. we're martyrs. And we, we basically feel like that's our purpose. But your purpose is not to be a martyr. Yeah. Your purpose is to be a healer. And in order to be a healer, you need to take care of yourself too. And yeah. there's nothing selfish about taking care of yourself. Absolutely. And you should not feel guilty about saying no. And, and call, you know, somebody calls you up and they need you to cover call, but you've got something else planned. How many times do we sacrifice our own happiness to just jump in? 
I used to do that all the time. I used to get night sweats thinking if I had to take a day off the next day, how was I going to tell my chief or how was I going to, you know, let my staff down or my teammates down? I mean, Mm -hmm. that should never be the case. The other thing that happens, Romy, and I don't know if it's true in residency now for you, but it's very toxic. You know, we Mm -hmm. treat each other very poorly. We're very judgy. We hold everybody up to a really high standard. Mm-hmm. We expect everyone to also sacrifice, and from that comes a lot of shaming and guilt. Yeah. If somebody does have a mental illness, if somebody does need a break, if somebody has another commitment, there's no forgiveness. Yeah. I think my my understanding of of kind of just like our our own biology and how we're programmed to to feel at certain points or from certain situations has been, you know, that's kind of been a big fascination of mine recently. And like I told you, I've been reading this book um, by Jordan Peterson and he's a, he's a clinical psychologist, Harvard um, professor, real incredibly smart guy. And he's, you know, he kind of compares our biology to being, well, our biology is very ancient in terms of, you know, the way our neural structure, our neural system has been programmed. And, uh, our wiring is meant to please. It's meant to um, move up the hierarchy. And in medicine, there's this kind of weird hierarchy where it's kind of you go up and then you go back down, you go up and you go back down. And my almost my conclusion is that you know, like when you when you please and when you're when you're praised and 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 whatever you're doing in residency, you feel like you're moving up the hierarchy. You feel like you're 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 doing better you feel like you're above other people at times too and that kind of makes you puff your chest out and stand up a little bit straighter and that um you know he talks about this his first chapter is called stand up straight with your shoulders back because i guess that's the way that lobsters when they win a fight and they move up the dominance hierarchy they stand up straight and they well bring their they take up more space and that in turn releases more serotonin in the brain and then they are essentially more resilient and happier and more successful. And then when they lose a fight, they crouch down and they bring their shoulders in and they stand up less straight. And that's a signal that they're uh, not as uh, dominant or not as successful. And that leads to them being perceived as less and treated as less. And so there's this whole idea that, you know, like it's a comparison and analogy. And this whole time I'm reading this, I'm thinking that makes a lot of sense in the medicine world because Mm -hmm. you never want to let anybody down Um, when you're when you're when you're yelled at for something or for or made feel like you've done something wrong. uh, You suddenly feel like, okay, you got to, you know, tuck your shoulders in slouch a little bit more and then that leads to more of that and people start perceiving you as not as good and then when you do finally something good like you're you stand up a little bit straighter you're more confident and it's just this back and forth of feeling like am i good enough am i not good enough wanting to move up wanting to be the best and i think at the same time you know everything that you're saying makes so much sense and it also just kind of no matter i think you got to realize what I, I guess in any situation in life is to kind of, you know, stand up straight and get in, you know, like not let the outside stuff make you feel like you're less no matter. Uh, and we have what. to practice kindness towards each other. Yeah. I think that in residency, if we practiced kindness and we allowed people to 
um, be, you know, be what they need to be at that moment in time and forgive them just like we would do patients. Mm -hmm. then, then we would be better providers to each other too and we would be healthier. I think that creating an environment where we all feel like we need to put on a show and we don't want to show signs of weakness, that unfortunately also then propagates this need to always be on top. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't know. I don't think that needs to be there. I think that we need to have learning environments be comforting. I think there's a lot of changes happening with, you know, work hours and um, work environments, which I think is good. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of hospitals are adapting better cafeterias with better food, which is good. Um, I think that some residency programs are incorporating integrative medicine, mm -hmm. um, allowing for uh, doctors in training to learn about integrative medicine. Sometimes I've seen residencies also have retreats for their residents, yeah. mm -hmm. my body. Um, and, you know, I work with the Banner Good Sam here in Phoenix, their residency program, and doing integrative work there as well. So I think that the shift also needs to happen in, in residency um, leadership. And they need to embrace this idea that, you know, collectively we're people and we need to be kind to each other and that we don't need to always be racing to the top. And um, folks need to be able to love each other even if they're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. One more, one last question I had. And um, what, at what point was it between residency and, you know, making your switch into integrative medicine? Did you realize, you realize you know, this is the path you were going to go down? Like, what was that? Was there like an, an, an like a certain event? I know you talked about kind of the diagnosis that you had, but was there anything that kind of finally propelled you down that road? I think it's just the increasing pressures of insurance, and it was not a, a step off of a cliff. It was more like a slow roll down the hill. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we don't realize how much is being put on us until I have metrics forms to fill out and, um, you know, protocols to fulfill and more paperwork to do. So I think it was a, just a gradual, slow slip away from where my values and medicine's values were starting to uh, create a big divide. Um, and the more and more division, the harder it was for me to put my feet on both sides. Uh, I had to choose a side. Mm -hmm. And it just hit, you know, with all the, the new uh, regulations with even Medicare, I think that was the breaking point for me. I had to I had to make an ethical decision. Am I going to continue to make people sicker so that there is more money to be had and more patients to see? Or am I going to really follow my purpose and help people be well, even if there's less, you know, less patients to care for? Um, and I think we all have to make that assessment ourselves when we're able to take what's put on us and whether our ethics and our morals and our ways to want to practice medicine meet the industry standards. Um, so everybody has to pick for themselves. That's beautiful. Um, so I like to end the podcast usually with a question, and I ask my my guests what beyond medicine evokes in them or what it means to them. I guess when you hear that term, what does that kind of what does it mean for you? So beyond medicine means seva, and seva means service, service to your community, service to your people service to your loved ones. So beyond medicine, beyond the exam room, we as physicians and healthcare providers need to find connection in the community to give back. Uh, whether it is through education at schools, whether it's giving workshops, whether it's starting a community garden, whether it's just taking on causes and you know helping people. So when you're a healthcare provider, find time beyond medicine 
to really make an impact in the health of your community. That's how I see beyond medicine. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure talking with you. Um, where can people find you or connect with you on social or on your website or if they even want to see you as a doctor? Sure. Thanks, Rami. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you creating this platform and allowing me to share my thoughts today. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, I can be reached um, on my website, which is AIMS for Wellness, A-I-M-S, or F-O-R, wellness, W-E-L-L-N-E-S, dot com. Um, I also have social media uh, pages on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, and my handle is just my name, so it's J-Y-O-T-I Patel MD, so Jyoti Patel MD, and, um, you know, they can schedule consultations with me. My visits are an hour long. I also have a telehealth platform, so anyone that doesn't live in the area but wants to see me can also schedule. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Jyoti Patel, MD. It was a pleasure talking with her, and um, I hope you guys got some good information out of this. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community and uh, a regular listener if you are. If you enjoyed this podcast, take a screenshot of it, put it on your stories, tag us, and we'll repost your stories. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you. Have a great week.